0: Hey everybody, welcome to Go Bold. This episode is part of our Bleeding Edge series, where we talk about new and emerging and cutting-edge technologies. So we all hear about artificial intelligence and machine learning. Those words are bandied about left and right. But do you really appreciate what AI and machine learning is? And are you aware of how prevalent it is in today's society and how AI and machine learning can be applied to the defense domain. Well, I wonder those things, and my guest today is a world-renowned expert in both AI and machine learning. They're inextricably linked, and you'll hear exactly why it is so important for us to get a foundational understanding. Major Kanan is appearing in his personal capacity, and his views do not reflect the views of the U.S. government, the Department of Defense, the United States Air Force, or any other government agency or an endorsement of any product or company. So, without further ado, welcome to Go Bold, and let's get at it. Hey everybody, welcome to Go Bold. I'm your host, Jody Atariwala. So we're a podcast that speaks with heroes who serve their nation and make a difference in their communities, whether it be locally, regionally, or internationally. And today I'm very proud to welcome Michael Kanan. He's a US Air Force officer and a globally recognized expert on artificial intelligence and machine learning. He's a graduate of the US Air Force Academy and he served as co-chair. Of AI at headquarters for the United States Air Force. And he's currently the director of operations at the Department of the Air Force at the AI Accelerator at MIT. He's also an award winning author of the book T AI. So, Mike, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be with you, my friend. Hey, thank you. So, as I do with most of my guests, I ask what made you join the military and why did you pick the branch that you did?
1: Well, I think growing up, um, something that was always instilled in, in my family in particular is that you can't always reopen doors that get opened up. Right. Um, yeah. I, in high school, growing up in Birmingham, Michigan, I played football. And fortunately, we always looked at that game and that sport as using it as an opportunity to open doors that you otherwise wouldn't have had. And uh, one day I got a phone call from, at the time, Coach Fisher to Barry, This is back in 2000 and uh, about six at the time. And uh, he said, you know, Hey, I'm coach Fisher Berry from the United States Air Force Academy. How'd you like to come play football here? And for myself, that was, that never crossed my mind. It was division one football. Um, I always, of course, wanted to play college football, but never crossed my mind. Mm -hmm. And you of course know the history of the academies and the rest And very simply put, it wasn't necessarily um, about, well, well, what am I going to do in the military or thinking that far in the future? It was how could you not walk through a door and an opportunity like that? And then in short order, you find yourself um, in a in a in a whole new world that you weren't used to before, um, but you do with it what you should. Right. And for myself as well, and people often forget this, you know, only a certain percentage of somewhere floating around 3% of citizens of the United States serve in the Department of Defense. And you know, perhaps that's somewhere you know, floating 3 to 8%, whatever it is.
0: Sure. The point
1: being is that it's less than you would imagine. Right. And me growing up in Michigan, I really had never met someone who was an active duty military member. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so it was a whole, whole new thing. Um, but I'm really glad that choice happened and and I guess the takeaway being is always keep a door open because you can't always walk back through them.
0: It's a great lesson and and I hope anyone who listens who's uh, young and and considering opportunities, you're absolutely right. Walk through a door that's that's available to you. So most people that go into the Air Force Academy, you know, kind of have this vision, hey, i'm gonna I'm gonna fly and and right. but that's not the only vocation that you could go into uh, through the academy there's many mm-hmm. um as you went through the academy I, I would love to know what your thought was when you entered it because now you're going into a very structured environment that you may or may not have anticipated um, so how did you fit in that environment and what were you thinking as you progressed through your years in terms of where you wanted to direct your energy
1: I think a a way of looking at an institution like the service academies or things that we have you know internationally as well that are centered around this idea of military service or public service is that interestingly enough it's all about a team the entire aspect is a team moving the ball you know proverbially to put it down (laughs) the field together so at that point in time What you're learning in these leadership laboratories is the different ways in which you lead right sometimes the best leadership is being a follower, and sometimes it is leading from the front or sometimes it's by example, or through silence. Um, But when you're amongst all of those different groups and at least this team dynamic of of why you're there for something for a higher cause, I think you start to fill the roles. And they purposefully do this that you fill different roles at different times mm-hmm. and and i think there's something to be said about that and creating environments whether it's with our teams or with our businesses
0: um, or in school that we can do that so as you were progressing did you find that you liked that environment the structure well i'm here now
1: so <laughs> so there's something to be said about that um, but-
0: that could be just be that or you have perseverance and you're like, hey, I'm going to achieve this goal. Because um, yeah. some, some people are very goal-focused and other people are like... Uh, well, I, I, I...
1: we're all on our individual journeys. I think if sure. you asked me at 18, I might have given you a different answer <laughs> than I do now. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> everything in hindsight is 2020. 20, 20. Yeah. Um, In the end, though, all things that are worth it are hard.
0: Yes, right. And I,
1: I think that's something that's universal.
0: Yeah, I, I, w- I would agree with you. And if something comes to you very, very easily, uh, perhaps you might not appreciate it as much.
1: That's very fair. I think, you know, yeah, you got to yeah. put in the time.
0: Yeah, exactly. And uh, as you uh, approach graduation, um, I imagine that through the academy, you have the ability to kind of say where you would like to go or, or the type of area that you would like to pursue. How was that for you? For,
1: for myself, you know, I think that everyone might have Uh, at first, you know, the grand aspirations of thinking about, maybe I want to be a fighter pilot. And if you want to be, well, there's a school for you. Right. But what people often forget about the military in general, is that any job that you have in the private sector, any job that someone listening now fills, we have the same job, Right. whether it's being a lawyer, whether it is um, being a, you know, financial analyst, whether it's flying planes. And for myself, I, uh, one of my favorite movies was Hunt for Red October. Oh yeah, and, great movie. You know, you grow up yeah. wanting that Jack Ryan moment. Right. He says, right. well, how'd you know he's going to turn left? Um, yep. And it's like, I didn't, I had a 50-50 shot, right? So he's right. an intelligence analyst.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: you know, intelligence was something that I was passionate about. Uh, and that was, that was the choice that I made. But again, there are so many different careers that one can choose and decide. Mm-hmm. And they open that up to you. And then um, you hopefully get what what you looked for.
0: That's awesome. And so you are the first person in the intelligence community that I have the privilege to speak to. So that's oh sure, yeah. that's that's awesome. And I, I love it because you know I, I've chat with pilots, I've chat with logisticians, all sorts of different folks. Mm-hmm. But I haven't chat with anybody in the intelligence community. So tell me what that was like going into that field in the U.S. Air Force.
1: I think it's an exciting field from the perspective, if you really kind of live the motto, like learning is a lifetime sport, Uh always searching for more, the answers are are always obfuscated and hidden. And what was interesting enough was the intersection of artificial intelligence and intelligence. So Uh again, if we went back in time and you asked, I guess at that point, 21 year old me, hey, what do you think of artificial intelligence? I would have said, well, I'm interested. I read about it, I think about it because it's kind of on the forefront. Um, I, you know, Are you reading at that point in time, quantum's coming back into vogue um, mm-hmm. and you're reading Brian Greene and Sean Carroll and the rest. Right. So I guess I'll share a story of my first job that I think puts this all into a frame of context Please. and it leads yeah. into the artificial intelligence conversation because you know, storytelling is how we learn best.
0: I agree. And yeah.
1: each of us, our stories on right. being inspired to learn new things or lead artificial intelligence needs to be different. And mine began after graduating intelligence school, mm-hmm. after the Air Force Academy. My first assignment was at the National Air and Space Intelligence Center. And for anyone listening, and, and just for any citizen, really, they have personally gleaned some benefit from uh, that fine you know, institution or that center at some point in their life. Hmm. So arriving there, my first job was commanding this new mission. We called it ACEs High, and we like acronyms. Yep. It's an acronym for the Airborne Cueing and Exploitation System Hyperspectral. And it was a first of its kind for us. we were just a couple months out from flying our first missions in the Middle East. That's okay. daytime in the Middle East, nighttime for us back right in Ohio. Right. The question to ask is, well, what's a hyperspectral sensor?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you see it's a camera that works much like our eyes do, except way better. So you and I see in three color bands, a mm-hmm. mantis shrimp sees in 12. So one might philosophically ask, like, what does a mantis shrimp see that we cannot? Right. But a hyperspectral imager, it sees in hundreds. What does that mean? Well, it can measure the radiance from reflected sunlight off of a material on the ground, And when we look across the color bands during the day, of course, because, well, sunlight, we can identify certain materials that were spectrally significant in the range of which it collects. So long story short, it was this which initially led to my passion for artificial intelligence because I forgot to say the year. It was 2011. And what was happening then? ImageNet, which for anyone listening was a computer vision competition so okay. computer seeing things on a screen in which essentially the machine outperformed some really high human benchmarks in image recognition, right, mm-hmm. lots of cats on the internet. Mm-hmm. And also at that time, so long as we ourselves didn't kick the proverbial can down the road on artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. AI came out of its last winter then too, machine learning in particular. Right. So when you think about our mission using the sensor, We were collecting a massive data cube that somehow we needed to get back via satellite data to be processed where we were, all while live flying this plane in the Middle East with only about 15 of us in Ohio, moving the sensor, doing all the analysis to, at a moment's notice, let a sailor, soldier, airman, marine on the ground know, hey, there's something you need to be concerned about. And sometimes that was literally turns away seconds, minutes from, you know, a convoy on the road, because again, we could definitively detect and see what the human eye couldn't such as nefarious materials that could kill or compromise convoys and vehicles. This was a huge deal. And for those of us who knew how to frame an AI problem, it was perfect. Now, Mm. moving forward, that began a groundswell of focus on AI because I wasn't the only one wondering well, how much more could we have seen? How much quicker could we have told someone? What could we have done better? Who could we have better helped? How could we make, you know, writer, smarter choices? And you know, those are perfect AI problems. And even without it, that team was responsible for taking off 37 tons of weaponized explosive material off the battlefield wow. material where just 50 pounds smashed together something that can do significant yeah. damage to people and vehicles. right? And that team was directly cited and recognized as saving thousands of lives at very timely and critical points of discovery. So for myself, despite any subsequent professional accolade or even just a recent personal accomplishment, it's the women and men on and of that mission that I'm proud of most to this day. And I don't think that'll probably ever change. Um, you know, for most of it's us it's always the first mission you
0: like right. the most. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What you're sharing, um, I distinctly recall reading about and uh, not, not your particular um, uh, program or mission, but the fact of unmanned systems in the air in combat theaters that were out there trying to protect ground forces. And one of the problem sets that people would be talking about is, um, okay, you're going over the same route every day. Mm -hmm. How do you pick out the differences? And I think that's kind of what you're speaking to in terms of utilizing AI to help you Mm -hmm. um, pick out those differences, because if you're going over the same highway every day, um, you know, you could have a guy looking through that EOIR sensor and be like, okay, I see that that's different, but there's so much information coming through that pipe that unless somebody's Johnny on the spot and sees something, Mm -hmm maybe there's an automated way of doing it. And is that kind of where this was all leading? I think so.
1: I think that was what we were thinking about. Um, you know, look, what makes humans special is not that we, you know, make fire, right? right. Like, like people say, it's, it's, you know, crows mess with fire. It's not that we use tools, yeah. um, you know, monkeys reach in and pull out ants on a log. Yeah. It is that we make the things that wouldn't exist in nature left to nature's own devices, aspirin, right? right I right, mean, that's right. what makes humans special. No <laughs> yeah. one else does that. Right. Uh, yes. It's, yes. it's pretty simple.
0: Yeah. With
1: that being said, the machines that we use are made for a purpose. Mm-hmm. And when you think about the natural limitations that we have, which machines have limitations, you know, we don't have and, and vice versa. Um, I like to bin it out into whether you're in business or not, there's a concept called the OODA loop. You've ever heard of this? I have, yeah. Yeah. So the OODA loop, I remember I, uh, we were visiting a VC firm years ago, and they sat us down and they said, Do you know about the OODA loop? I'm like, Yes, an Air Force officer named John Boyd is the one who created that. Um, right. But essentially, for those listening, it is observe, orient, decide, and act. Whatever business that you're in, whatever you're doing, those are the four functions that you're performing. Mm -hmm. And any shortening of one function means that that circle um, that you're always performing gets a little bit shorter. And it means you're outperforming your competition or doing something better. In terms of machines, the ways that that we look at it is the observe and orient functions, the ability to see and sift through the massive amounts of ones and zeros streaming on our screens or hidden in our Excel files. Mm -hmm. Machines are very, very good at that. And what it ends up doing is it puts us into more decide and act roles. So we're not so much doing tasks, right? A lot of people think about well, what's what is a machine going to replace? If a machine can replace someone, it means that their job was a task. And those are not jobs. Those humans should not have been doing those tasks, right? It's
0: quite fair. And, yeah.
1: that, and that was our that was our mindset. And you know, when we say the word unmanned or drone, it does freak people out. But I'll tell you this much. There are 15 people, Ash, you know, 10 to 15 looking at a drone mission, you know, there's one in the cockpit. So right. for what it's worth, what we should say is, um, you know, remotely piloted.
0: Yes, indeed. Indeed. Uh, right. there's, yeah. uh, it,
1: there's not some <laughs> autonomous Terminator out there. And, and, you know, I think that exposes the ways that we have to think about how we communicate.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's
1: all. And, and, and we chose the words unmanned because they're not wrong. Um, right. but you can see how drone and unmanned build that concern
0: mm-hmm.
1: when that's not quite what is met.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely and Hollywood doesn't help right <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean it, it doesn't help, but at the same time you know I, I like celebrating science fiction writers and this rise of fictional intelligence where we think about the futures we could have and Many of them prove themselves time and time again to be visionaries and are really well informed in the short term, perhaps in some ways, it hasn't done a lot of favors mm-hmm. to deal with like the realities of what the technology we have today
0: is. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I totally agree. So I've seen a number of interviews that you've done. Um, you know, I've, I've read a lot of stuff that, that you've written Um I think for the people that are listening that might not be aware of what artificial intelligence is or terms like machine learning or neural networks, um, I think it's worth defining those terms. But also, I think it would be helpful to have listeners get a sense of how prevalent it already is today. Those things already are today. Because I think people, when they pick up their cell phone, they might not really appreciate you know what a technological feat it is exactly and uh, i I think you you know exactly where i'm going with this because i i think people are utilizing technology today but they're not really appreciating that these words are what we're actually seeing and using
1: yeah no i i completely agree so i guess let's level set just for one second so despite (laughs) the words we talk about ai just like us we happen to be talking about terminator or the fact that it's now commonly employed as the foundational software and applications, products, and services throughout everyday life to sophisticated business. Mm-hmm. It just remains entirely misunderstood and let alone worse in recent critical years. And more broadly still, AI has been ignored by democratic policymakers makers and, and many of our businesses, while let's be honest, other nations and other non-democratic ones in particular are not only fully experiencing AI in their everyday life and military and geopolitical pursuits, They're executing legitimately very advanced digital operations and they saw it as an opportunity. So while this is a reality, the issue that we have is that when we professionally or just in everyday life discuss artificial intelligence, there's a contributing issue at Jump Street to the definitions. So the definition that you'll generally hear from most in governments or or, um, in academia is it's the ability of machines to perform tasks that normally require human intelligence. And it is correct and it's precise in a certain way. Here's the deal. We can really quickly unpack the problem with this definition mm-hmm. in practice. The problem is, is it's a rolling definition. And right. this definition an abacus was AI, TI-83 calculators, which, you know, all well, a special place in our hearts, uh, were AI, right. Excel files were AI. And now Google search is AI and furthermore, it's anthropomorphized with a nod towards the human domain. And we just keep this cycle of living in the trough of disillusionment with statements such as, well, that's not real AI Mm -hmm. when we're otherwise missing the boat to capitalize on the ways it can does and will profoundly impact us, our pursuits and our efforts. Mm -hmm. So the purposes of conversing, it just needs to be a little more practical and pragmatic. Simply put, AI applications are designed to analyze data and formulate predictions without any overall guidance from us. That's it. Regardless of the technique, the semantic games played by people, researchers, or companies, that's all it is. And with this in mind, hopefully we can now move forward at least a little bit with a better shared foundation. Mm -hmm. What we want to do is get beyond the what is AI conversation because we've been having it for years too long. True. Now, despite a collective ability to speak more than five minutes on the topic for most, the question is, is well, what's different now? Which right. is an insightful one that people don't ask nearly enough. Yeah. The reason this emerging suite of technologies are so different is because of just some advancements in global access to data. So mm-hmm. think cloud. Right. Software mm-hmm. is eating the world, right? So we digitize a lot. Okay. And computer chips that are faster. Right. That's it. Right. We're now capable of not having to explicitly code inputs into machines with a semblance of the output in mind. So -hmm. those algorithms people hear about, just think of that as math expressing code Mm -hmm. that evolve and optimize for whatever it is they're tasked to look for. Example is faces on a screen, filling in missing fields in Excel, generating the most likely next word or serving you up ads on a screen. And to the point of how do we see this in everyday life? There's a few examples I like using that I think no matter who you are, you're like, oh, wait, that's artificial intelligence, right? right. So if you hopped on LinkedIn or Facebook lately, it mm-hmm. gave you news based on what you learned from everything that you engaged with, looked at longest, or what your friends liked, all while filtering out what doesn't resonate with you. Right? Have you yeah. recently written a Gmail where it suggests the you know, last words, which was really Obnoxious up front, but now it's getting pretty good, right? It's, That's it's getting really learning,
0: good. Yes, right. right. It
1: also right. filters out all the spam you don't see much of in the world any longer, right? Nigerian mm-hmm. princes and all those schemes,
0: <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> if thank God for unlocked, that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Thank, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, but it is. It's a good point. Remember being on AOL and it was just spam. Well, mm-hmm. you don't see that anymore. It's because it's not that people stop doing it. It's that spam filters are driven by machine learning. They're really good. Right. Um, right. If you unlock your phone today, it used thousands of infrared dots to scan your face mm-hmm. and compare it to what's stored, you know, from the face that it has always seen that you gave it, right. right? If you receive a fraud detection notice from your bank, that's machine learning using your history to determine what is quote usual mm-hmm. and notifying you of anomalies to approve or identify as fraudulent, right? Mm-hmm. And then to the most two recent points that I really like, is do you ever wonder how COVID contact tracing works or what's detected from chest X-ray and CT scans or how we made a vaccine so quickly to predict the protein structure or how we did triage in our hospitals when they're filled? That's all different forms of artificial intelligence. And then recently the fun one is the Mars Rover. It used machine learning and automation to execute 27,000 independent actions just a seven minute airborne span to make sure it landed safely through the atmosphere because why they have to do that? Well, it would have taken too many minutes for a signal to travel, you know, from Mars back to earth and back to Mars to direct
0: it. Right, right. It's amazing. The advances in computer processing is, I think that's probably the sea change and that's just going to continue to advance as we go forward.
1: It will. And, and, and the advancements largely came from a thing called parallelization, mm-hmm. right? So we can place things in a parallel, um, um kind of computer architectures mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, this all rises from rendering 3d environments in graphical processor units or GPUs that you hear about, which are like crazy expensive now <laughs> right. in video games. Right. Right. Um, yeah. what it allows us to do when you hear about neural networks is in a very, very, very rudimentary way, I mean, maybe neural networks isn't even like a great name for it anymore. Mm. We can simulate the neurons in your brain, right? Firing back and forth in parallel, remembering things and learning things in compute, right? And then algorithms to do that. That's all that's really happening. And, you know, you hear all these words, but I, I to the best of, you know, the ability to just break it down into, oh, I, I, I sort of get it. It's in parallel, like my brain, a very rudimentary version of it, you know, albeit
0: Right. So you have just shared some examples of this technology um, mm-hmm. in commercial or civil culture or, or yeah. civil society. Um, I would love for you to share some examples in the military context. Okay. Um, you know uh, today's military context, not the future, which we'll get to. But uh, yeah. But where is this technology being used today?
1: Not as many places as you might think or or would like. Uh, I, I mean, let's just call it like it is. I mean, that's part of the journey. Interesting. Um, a lot of people think of of artificial intelligence. I, I can't count the number of times they're like, "Oh, by the way, put some of the AI on that too." And it's like, <laughs> "Okay, right, me, that,
0: right, you know, yeah."
1: Let's let's talk about that for a second. So let's talk <laughs> about kind of the the journey of artificial intelligence, if we would. Yeah. If you're going to perform AI well, it's the end state of doing a few other things also very very well. Hmm. The first is knowing your business inside and out, right? Because what that allows you to do is you start to set specific goals with the frame of AI in mind and and what you're trying to accomplish and peer into insights. And and you have enough time and space essentially to be willing and open to asking new questions, which is what artificial intelligence does best Mm -hmm. in the case of, you know, most things. Now, if you're going to deploy it though, there are a lot of requirements that, that we've kind of levied in this conversation when you heard us talk. First, mm-hmm. you have to have appropriate hardware, which generally speaking, if you want to run um, a bunch of artificial intelligence or rather develop it with the mm-hmm. computer in front of you, mm-hmm. uh, maybe, but probably not at the scale when we're talking about the scale we do with and you know, government, right? Right. Right. Um, right? So that's number one. Number two is you have to generate data in a very specific way. Um, In a way called training quality data. And it's certain file structures that can be ingested by these algorithms and machines. Mm -hmm. And not only that, that it has to be in a certain format. But furthermore, it has to be representative of what you do. Right? Right. You can't just go grab a, you know, a bunch of Excel and say, hey, run some AI on it. That doesn't mean it will mean anything. Like, what is it optimizing for?
0: Right, 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 right.
1: And then in addition to that, I'm a big proponent of that. If you are going to use artificial intelligence in the ways that I think it's most effective and used today, which is think of it as, you know, a mirror, a flashlight or a canary in the coal mine, right? That's like asking new questions. Sure. Um, You should probably be able to automate through a process called robotic process automation, what it is you even do, because what does that mean? If you can automate something, you understand your business really well. The data has nice structure to it. I know I'm getting the right outputs, right? And then what you would do is you use artificial intelligence on all of those examples in order to allow us to ask the new questions that we didn't have before. Interesting. So, and it also necessitates cloud uh, for <laughs> the most part if you're going to do it at scale. And right. we all understand you know, the back and forth with, organizations and big governments getting on cloud right
0: now. Right. Well, absolutely. And there's those other uh, concerns, you know, Mm -hmm. cybersecurity. How do you, how do you, how do you control and and protect all of this information? Yeah. Particularly if it's in the cloud. Um, So sometimes,
1: I mean, for what it's worth too, I do like highlighting, you know, there is a concern, like who's protecting what in aggregate. However, um, the cloud actually, it's really contrary to popular belief, Mm -hmm. but cloud and, and all those provide in, in, in no uncertain ways, actually more security than just, you know, leaving it on your machine and hoping for the best and, you know, setting it apart from everything else. Right. Um, the question though is, is at what cost does not developing it come at should be the question we always ask in our personal lives and business. So where are the examples that you see it, um, you know, nowadays you see it in the things that you see out in the normal world, right? Financial documents to ensure that we're not having um, redundant efforts, right? In mm-hmm. order to read and read regulations and say, hey, these regulations are 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 uh, you know not complementary, but they're conflicting or something to that effect, right? right. Um, in terms of efforts like scheduling, right? Mm-hmm. You see artificial intelligence in practice, and the point being is that you know we're talking about the rise of ImageNet, machine learning. In our stories, we told just a minute ago, um, mm-hmm. back in 2011, ten years in the Department of Defense and federal government broadly, it's like the you know it's like the blink of an eye.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Totally. <laughs>
1: you know, that's two cycles of the budget.
0: That's yeah, so, that's right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I do want to highlight. You know, in, in this notion is is the amount of thoughtfulness and effort into creating the system to, to do it appropriately mm-hmm. and to even generate the things that we need, like all the stuff we just talked about, to even perform it the right way. Mm-hmm. I think we get a little ahead of ourselves or people wonder what are the terminators and big governments doing. Right. They're not doing the wrong thing. They're trying to journey there. And, 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 and it's not exciting, but, but we're not the human, you know, I always tell people, we're not the heroes of lore. Like I'm not that, um, you know, the Ender's Game people doing right. all this crazy <laughs> AI stuff. We're enabling the next generation to do that stuff, and I can, you know, it's not, it's not the fun stuff. But mm. you know, for what it's worth, I think that's, I think that's pretty great. You know, I can get behind that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. So you made the comment of people saying, oh, let's put some AI in that, or let's say <laughs> sure. hi there. Um, Clearly, people even within the Air Force or mm-hmm. the Department of Defense, you know, they have an idea of what it is, but they don't really appreciate what right. it is, right? And I guess that it, hopefully discussions like this help because I think that's why you see us so open now. Yes, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's so important because you can't utilize the technology until you have an understanding of what it is or how mm-hmm. it works. Um, it's very interesting because. There are companies that I know, and if we keep it in the Air Force context, that talk about utilizing AI as an effort to pick out people that would have the highest likelihood to succeed in being a pilot. Right. Huh, right yep. And so they talk about utilizing AI in that context. And in my mind, uh, and this comes to biases. And yes. I know you and I have spoken about this before, and that is that. If you have, let's say, a cohort of people that the machine learning or whatever algorithm is looking at, and it's like, mm-hmm. you know, all of these pilots that have succeeded in the Air Force or, you know, got through, uh, let's say, introduction to fighter fundamentals, the phase, yeah. um, They were all typically, let's say, white, uh, yep. this age, what have you. And if that's the information going in, then You could assume that the solution coming out would be, hey, pick this demographic, this gender, this uh, ethnic, or this, uh, you know, you know where I'm going.
1: Uh, A machine here, this is just a very simple reality.
0: A machine does
1: not know what it has not seen.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Right,
1: right. There is, you know, there is no magic sauce here. Now, why does that matter, right? Because what we want to drive towards is a notion that I like to think about is, representativeness. So mm-hmm. let's just do a little thought experiment. Okay. Imagine if you would an x and y axis,
0: mm-hmm.
1: okay, on the y axis, we're going to label that as um, data or worldview, right for, you know, experience, because sure. for us, you know, for, for a machine data is akin to experience for us. So we'll label that just worldview, what has this machine seen? Mm hmm. On the x-axis, we're gonna label that as scope, reach, you know, audience, right? That that type of thing. So mm-hmm. how many people does it affect? Mm-hmm. Now, if you and I start start placing some AI technologies in our everyday life onto this chart, you start to realize some things very quickly. First, let's just place an Alexa. Mm-hmm. I would never want an Alexa in my home only trained on Southern white gentlemen. Or <laughs> just from people in Northern California, right? Right, right, That is not representative, keyword, right? Right. It's not representative of its reach. You know? Now on the flip side, I may want, you know, if we're talking about a a very simple technology of automation, a telephone switch operator. Mm -hmm. Well it doesn't need much of a world view in order to perform its intended function, right? Right. Right. So the point is, when you start to place all of these things on there, you start to have you know a little bit of a framework to ask the question that you're asking. Mm. Well, what is right? You know, exactly. Is it too? Is it too biased right. towards something? And by the way, bias isn't in and of itself a bad thing necessarily. I'm sure. biased to not walk in front of you know a uh, a car.
0: Right. You know? Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs>
1: I'm also you know sometimes you want bias into your machines. For instance, if I was using a camera with computer vision on it, and it was biased for cities, and I have it only in cities, that's a good bias to have, right? I don't want to Mm -hmm. put the jungle cam into the city or vice (laughs) versa. It doesn't work, you know? Right, right. So we have to talk about what is the appropriate bias. Mm. And I think the best way of doing that is through this notion of, well, is it fairly representative of its intended effect and the people that it you know, reaches. Mm-hmm. And I think at least then, as we get into conversations about what is responsibility, what is inclusivity and equity and all the rest, I think that's at least like a manageable topic.
0: Mm-hmm. In fact,
1: I think you could, you know, if you place some technologies, you could even start drawing circles. And it's like, well, if it falls outside this circle, that's not good, right? right. Like, Or outside of this quadrant. And yeah. what does that start looking like? I think it looks like regulatory action.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it, 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 it is a really interesting, um, it's an interesting discussion because when I think about utilizing artificial intelligence, you know, machine learning to, mm-hmm. it, particularly when you're trying to pick out a cohort of people, like when you're trying to select folks for a particular vocation. Yep. Um, yeah. It, it really does boil down to, you know what information is fed into the system it will, it will kind of determine yeah. what it throws out,
1: right? So, so I, I want to highlight, though, on this yeah. point, though, that doesn't yeah. mean we should be afraid of using it.
0: Good point. So we okay. should be
1: yeah. smart about using it when it affects our operations, when it results in decisions or predictions. Right. But if we highlight, remember, I said, think of artificial intelligence as either a flashlight, a mirror, or a canary in the coal mine. Mm-hmm. It illuminates the otherwise ignored or undiscovered latent patterns already existent in the world around us. Mm-hmm. So what's the point here? And I think that this is an important highlight. We recently heard of mistakes with artificial intelligence. Most highlighted is probably Amazon's hiring actions. I hired a bunch of people who look like me,
0: right? right? Okay. And right. of course
1: it did. That yep. is the pattern. That's right. the reality of the world in which we live. Right. right. But here's the twist. Without that, though, without that realization, Mm -hmm. would they have just continued on the same way, right? Right. In that case, AI was a mirror and it was a canary in the coal mine. There's something wrong. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: what was then what ended up happening as its flashlight? Well, people demanded change and they pulled back that algorithm and now they're hiring in a different way. That's what makes us different also than non-democratic countries right? It's the fact that conversation exists. So I do want to highlight that, you know, I think that AI helps in some certain ways expose biases that we have, and we should use it to that end.
0: That's really interesting. That's a great perspective, Mike. Hey, everyone. I'd like to take a quick moment to thank our sponsor, Cubic Mission and Performance Solutions. So the promise of artificial intelligence to enable next-generation mission dominance starts with having the right data sets for machine learning and artificial intelligence algorithm development. Since the 1960s, the Cubic Corporation has been in the business of instrumenting mission-critical training and operational environments to deliver truth in training, and that is the data sets that help operators understand what happened. Cubic's multi-domain training solutions are joined by SPEAR, which stands for Simplified Planning, Execution, Analysis, and Reconstruction. It is the next-generation multi-domain training, common operating picture, and common data model, which is helping operators spend more time reviewing why things happened instead of just what happened. The Spear-derived enriched dataset will power the development of both emerging manned and unmanned teaming capabilities and operator intelligent assistance by feeding the right data and context to AI algorithms in the next generation combat systems. Cubic is at the forefront of this technology, and we would like to thank them as a teammate to Go Bold, and we encourage you to visit them at cubic.com. Now, back to our chat with Mike Kanan, a U.S. Air Force subject matter expert in AI and machine learning. So, you know, you just spoke about different societies. So who, in your estimation, who is leading the way in this technology? Um, Because you may have seen the 60 Minutes episode that I Mm -hmm. did um, where they showed in China where they've got all these cameras and yeah. using facial recognition. I'm, I'm not sure if you saw that episode, but mm-hmm. it was like, wow, the, the utilization that they have there. And I, I don't know, do we want that type of intrusion into our day-to-day yeah. lives? Now, having said that, I know uh, because I used to live in the United Kingdom that there are cameras everywhere in the UK, more so than in North America, I would say. Um, oh, yeah. And, and, so everywhere you go, you see that you're on CCTV. Now, if you were to utilize that and have some facial recognition for somebody who's, let's say, wanted for murder, then, yep. hey, maybe that's a great application. Um, but if you're picking it for some guy who owes a parking ticket, <laughs> maybe not, you know. It's a <laughs> slippery slope. It, it's a slippery slope. So those are just a couple of examples that I have in, yeah. uh, off the top of my head. But the point being is, who is forging the way more?
1: Okay. Um, You know, to this point, especially on the UK, there's a recent Netflix documentary called Coded Bias, where an example is significant. And it's a it's a great documentary Hmm. um, about the bias that we naturally code into our machines. Because, again, if you're not represented represented in data, it will not know who you are or, you know, bias um, towards something else. Right.
0: Interesting. Um, Which,
1: by the way, just as a quick highlight to that point which calls for when people say, I don't want an Alexa in my home, or I don't want those technologies. Mm -hmm. Just understand that you're not contributing to the data that it will, you know, companies are gonna move forward with actually using, right? And going to use as a service. And it's a fine answer to have, Mm -hmm. just understand the trade-off that's being made there. And furthermore, it calls for us bridging the digital divide in all of our countries. Desperately, yes. right? Mm-hmm. I, I think that is one of the most crucial things that we can do right now um, so that people aren't left behind. And it will be uh, kind of the future have and have nots, you know, mm-hmm. who is represented in data. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, to the point on, you know, kind of where do people stand in relation to one another or yeah. nations? Yeah. It's a tough question because there are a lot of apples and oranges comparisons being thrown around. Okay. So, here are a couple examples many people use. Um, for instance, China publishes more AI research than the United States in raw numbers. And, and by the way, I'll say, you know, uh, not only United States, but let's just say Western democratic countries. Okay. Sure. Um, in raw numbers. And that's often cited as a concern you hear about all the time. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, the US and all those other more like-minded nations, at least in government structure, mm-hmm. vastly outnumber the citations of papers. So hmm. who's ahead? Well, in that case, not China in any meaningful way. Right. But what about though in governmental use and the controlled proliferation of AI? In terms of use and experience though, I'd hand it to non-democratic nations executing many of these technologies and experiencing them at home and abroad and using it to uh, you know, essentially serve their ends. Mm -hmm. So it's a a tough thing. And you you really have to think about it in this stance. What is the short term and who wins in the long term, right? So in the short term, digital authoritarianism is quite effective, right? They control all of their data. They can use it all. Um, And we have to ask ourselves, well, what are the trade-offs in the long term? And if we're going to Um, be able to combat the short-term benefits to, again, more data equals more better AI, Mm -hmm. digital, you know, authoritarian governments can essentially package up uh, authoritarianism in a box and send it anywhere and get more data. And recursively, they just keep getting better. The question is, so how do we philosophically um, and intellectually argue that, wait a second, don't pick up that Huawei phone, you know, hey, I know you love the capability of TikTok, but you know, when you put the bunny face emoji on your face, it's training a facial recognition algorithm called computer vision. And that data is then collected. And by deduction, because China lives in a civil military fusion society, they have to share it with the China, Chinese Communist Party and along with the military. So you're making more robust algorithms that are used to detect and identify um, you know, Muslim Uyghurs who are then rounded up and in placed into camps um, in, in Western China. Like what a gnarly argument. <laughs> it's true. Right. I mean, right, it is yep. true, right? right? There's right. That is how the technology works. Amazing. But think about the level of intellectually um, kind of sophisticated experiences and knowledge you have to have with artificial intelligence to see how that pipeline plays out. Right. So what's most important now? I think it's having conversations like these and yeah. educating people on the realities. So at least people can make their own choices Mm-hmm. but they're generally informed of what the choices mean and the compromises we may potentially face.
0: Yeah, that line that you strung together is amazing and it's you're right. I don't think many people think that deeply about it and and it's interesting, you know, when that discussion a few months ago was happening to a greater extent in the in the public mm-hmm. domain about TikTok. Yeah, I don't know if people appreciated why you know, they're just saying, oh, it's a Chinese company or whatever.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I think what that calls for is it, back to this point, the limits of our languages mean the limits of our world. Right. You know, I, I sometimes I hear um, people who might say, you know, a government shouldn't have artificial intelligence. W- what do you mean? We shouldn't have artificial intelligence to ensure we're not, you know, doubling down on taxpayer dollars, right. um, <laughs> you know, uh, to say... And, and I think that this is important to not draw any moral equivalence or ambiguity on this, mm-hmm. to say a representative government should not use artificial intelligence, because you're fearful of what could happen. I mean, if I feared what could happen, I would never hop in a car,
0: right? Yeah, Right. exactly. Right. I mean,
1: that is so yeah. and, and the point being, though, is it is a hallmark of democracy to say, I don't want to work with someone or I don't want to share that with a government, that's, that's its own thing. Mm-hmm. But let's make sure that there's a foundational argument to be made outside of, well, what if? You know, you wouldn't do anything in life if all you did is wonder what if. And the sure. point being is that we need to ensure to the best of our abilities that at least it reflects the qualities and aspects of freedom and human dignity and the rest that despite our mistakes, um, you know, along the way that we do differently than other countries, because, you know, those choices, those trade-offs are very real. And mm-hmm. we need to make sure people are, are aware of them. And that's why I think it's so important to, to, to focus on contemporary education on this topic. And AI is not for just tech people.
0: Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, everyone is using it, whether they know it or not. And so you're right, right. It, it is not just for tech people. And that's why I, I, I'm very grateful for you to be mm-hmm. here to share this, because I, I think discussions like this are fascinating. You know, I'm interested personally, but um, but I, I, I hope that more people engage in, in similar discussions. Um, you know, there's that thought that you would think, well, if you don't need to utilize the technology, do you really need to know it? But everybody's mm. using it. You know, so, so it, it's like, it's like, to what degree do you just go about your day ambivalent to, to things?
1: Yeah, I think here's, I'm asked this question a lot. In fact, I, you know, we all have things we're dealing with. You can't learn artificial intelligence in an hour. No, um, you got to put, you got to put some time into it, but that's okay. So what is the extent that most people should, should understand it? Um, I think of it like as electricity, Right. I, I I don't think most people know, know Ohm's law off the top of their head. Right. 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 Um, (laughs) you know what they do know though, not to stick a fork in electrical outlet. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Right. I don't know anyone who can build a microwave, but they know dang right. Well, don't put tin foil in it for the most part. (laughs) Right. Um, there, you know, cars, most people can't build, let alone, I, I don't think anyone can build and code the software in our car nowadays. And we use those. So the point being is there's a lot of stuff that we trust, quote, Mm -hmm. um, or understand in everyday life. Mm -hmm. And it's because we have left and right bounds on them, right? We're aware of when it's used for bad and good, you know, Mm -hmm. like a hammer. Mm -hmm. Um, so, So I think that that's the way we want to approach it with artificial intelligence. And I do want to highlight one point on this is that We can all influence the path and provide opportunities for others, like our kids, our friends, our neighbors, to generally understand these technologies as they continue to infringe on human rights across the globe, yet we don't discuss it, um, or it affects us and we use it every single day. So what I would ask to people and what I do ask is I go, what are you doing to better understand it and help others do the same in ways that matter to them? Back to the start of it. We all have our individual journeys. Right. So here's a point. Do you love dance? Help people dance with a robot. Are you a writer? Show them a language transformer. Are you a psychologist? Help us deal with how people will handle with life changes driven by tech. Are you a wildlife or nature preservationist? Let's use computer vision to track and predict lions roaming the savanna. Are you a political representative? Help us bridge the digital divide. The point is AI is for everyone, and mark these words, the future rock stars in artificial intelligence will be teachers, parents, uh, sociologists, psychologists, you know, all the things that you don't think about because the sci-fi is here. Mm
0: -hmm. If
1: the technology does not change one iota moving forward, it will profoundly impact us all and disenfranchise some.
0: Absolutely. And I would imagine this is a perfect segue into your book, T minus AI. What prompted you to write the book?
1: It's always an interesting question. Um, You know, when someone said, for anyone who, you know, aspires to ever write a book, Mm -hmm. uh, write a book that you want to read.
0: Right, right. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So so I think that's number one um, was I, I wanted to read that book. So most simply stated, as I think we've kind of exposed, is AI in everyday life is designed to capture, analyze, and then optimize human patterns and practices. Mm-hmm. And now we do realize too, pulling the string back, without care and control though, it can unintentionally or even purposefully infiltrate privacies and replicate and exasperate our worst inequities, biases, and abuses. Mm-hmm. Um, so T minus AI was never meant to be some excited portrait of a utopian future or just a dyscopian sketch of all we should fear. It was undertaken to, I guess, objectively address the current realities and the true future implications of artificial intelligence, to explain the rudiments of the tech in an accessible and engaging narrative, Mm -hmm. and then in doing so, build and provoke a common call that AI is only implemented in ways consistent with fundamental human dignities and for purposes consistent with democratic ideals, liberties, and laws. And because it's you know, so poised to advance the efficiencies and, and purposes of not only public entities, but private ones alike, of course, as we see most often, it ultimately will compromise many of us. Um, so the challenge in, in frankly writing the book to a certain degree was to excise my own patterns and biases from the narrative to create a work that would be lasting and equally accessible to a broad audience of readers from different cultures and countries and educational backgrounds and social perspectives, and of course, political persuasions. Mm-hmm. So what I wanna do is build something that foundationally was unbiased and factually accurate as, as possible, mm-hmm. but also provide an intrigue and dynamic storytelling for the common reader, right? So, um, you know, because of the point that AI kind of measures um, these human experiences and perspectives, What I wanted to do was explain the technology by weaving historic and culturally topical anecdotes of our biology, our sociology, and intellectual evolution as the most natural and efficient kind of means to drive the narrative, because the story of AI from its origins to its present and all of its future iterations will remain the story of humanity itself. So therefore I wanted to write those as poignant themes throughout the book. And, you know, I always wished, I, I, I always wish I read that book, you know, years ago. All books kind of started with, you know, it, it, it assumes you know what AI is, right? It assumes you have all of this understanding and you got to know a little bit about how computers work, our own evolution, how our brains work, um, how data works, some history, to figure out how to get to that. You can't have the what is AI conversation up front and you also can't just jump to Terminator, you know, <laughs> right away right. or how it's going to be used in business. Yeah, um, yeah. So is that kind of approach.
0: You know, I, I think that is the challenge of this whole topic is, like you said, you have to have some knowledge. And I think maybe the progress of technology, you know, how fast technology has been moving is maybe a little bit of that, the issue is, you know, sure. look how long we've had cell phones. You know, I, I still remember cassette data tapes, you know, <laughs> in, in computers, like you yeah. know, now I'm starting to date myself. But, uh, but, you know, when you just think about the cell phones that we all have today, how quickly they have advanced in terms of camera technology and, and uh, you know, how fast uh-huh. they, they operate. I wonder if society is really, you know, the engineers are, are, are there, but, uh, but is the, is the average person, uh, does the average person really appreciate how fast it's moved? Because I think to get to these discussions, they don't have that foundational knowledge. This, I
1: mean, well, that's the existential question, right? But (laughs) I think the existential answer is it depends on how we handle it. I mean, the human story is full of transformative tech and moments and the successes or failures mm-hmm. are all based on being ready for it, which right. means we have to yeah. watch out for how we use it and other uses it, but yeah. center all of that, um, I guess our, on our collective understanding and recognition of it, you know, the, you know, I hate to use this line, actually I don't, you know, the, I know it when I see it.
0: Right. Right. right.
1: Um, so I, I guess with all that said, there's a bit of hopefulness with what I just kind of, I I, I hope provided Um, and I'm quite bullish on the opportunities at hand, but Mm. I'm not so much bullish on what we thoughtfully do about it. Mm. Um, It was only two years ago when Dr. Kissinger said very clearly, Mm -hmm. philosophically, intellectually, in every way, human Mm -hmm. society is unprepared for the rise of AI. And I wanna dial in, I guess, on two words there, to your point, philosophically and intellectually. Mm. As it was then and is now, the axiom rings true. So often the conversation we're just speaking below, passed around and through one another without any common set of experiences and shared knowledge. We lament about Alexa and Siri not understanding us while worrying about super intelligent machines and some future singularity point. Um, Executives and staff generally espouse our businesses will automate some percent of our workforce. While not understanding the process of how typing um, an S on our keyboard shows up on a screen or even how software works. We right. worry about bias and unfairness and facial detection algorithms while not doing the legwork to bridge the digital divide I like talking about. And it just goes on and on. And the point I'm trying to raise is the cognitive dissonance in the concerns mm-hmm. and the missing practicality and pragmatism and misunderstanding of how we are or when or even could breathe life into all of these various concerns. The takeaway, I guess, is that if we're prepared, um, yes and no, depending on the context, somewhere in the middle, not binary. Are we emotionally prepared, mentally, geopolitically, technologically, culturally, politically, economically? Um, Well, to answer any of those, I think it takes different people from different backgrounds with different focuses, with a philosophical and intellectual foundation that needs to be solid and shared. And yeah. I think that's why your question is so perfect. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, uniquely to those now, ask yourself, are you ready in individually and societally significant ways to interact with it? And, and you know, society and your community being a really relative term,
0: mm-hmm. like
1: your community of your neighbors, the community of your family, the communities we, you know, hold in our, in our, um, you know, religious circles or whatever it may be. Right? Sure. right, like right. just look yeah. at it as, as 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 being a part of that, and you know, I guess uh, I guess I guess to you know one last little point mm-hmm. is that um, you know we want to build a future where we have our rightful place and machines have theirs. To your point of like, well, where should we use it in government or whatever mm-hmm. um, for the benefit of us humans? Um, but for what it's worth, progress often precedes peril. Developments that bring improvements for some frequently
0: present risks for others. Right. Right. Very good point. So you and I are both uh, long out of school. Well, Uh (laughs) you might still be in school. (laughs) I I think there are forces forced me to go
1: get my master's next year again. So yeah. yeah.
0: Right right on. Well, there you go. So, so uh, I I can say for myself, I'm (laughs) long out of school, but I'm jokingly wondering if kids today, uh, elementary hmm. school, high school, I don't know the answer, but I'm wondering if they are getting that grounding, that education. Uh, I I've, hope, I hope, but I don't, I don't know.
1: I'm pretty excited about. So I sit on the advisory board for a nonprofit called the AI Education Project. Okay. Um, launching with a number of different schools in different states, kind mm-hmm. of a very quick growth model, um, mm-hmm. which I'm really excited about. It's truly my passion on digital divide and education. Awesome. Um, the important thing is I think for, for all of us and, and for parents and anyone listening now mm-hmm. is that it's not about STEM, right? It's not about if your kid, you know, should they learn coding? Yeah, sure. You know, if, if they want to, mm-hmm. but that's not just what it's all about. So for instance, let's think of like curriculum you and I, you know, grew up learning, right? Sure. Um, we all learned about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Why, why not have a follow-on lesson where we talk about the reality of automated weapons, right? That's a very simple thing anyone can discuss, starts a bridge familiarity. Um, you know, Many schools at some point, people read 1984. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we talk about dystopian society currently playing out in places around the world with that same technology? Or alternatively, right. if you read Brave New World, let's talk about missing disinformation in the United States, right? right. Um, yeah. I, I always like when people are like, oh, 1984, America. I'm like, no, brave new world, America, 1984, China. You, you're mixing right. these things up. Um,
0: right.
1: It's okay. Maybe you haven't read the book. Um, it's, a, it's a convenient uh, yeah. analogy. Um, yes. Uh, yeah, convenient. Um, when we talk about, you know, for instance, um, you know, we read iRobot, You know, let's talk about, you know, why, how AI only works off of examples of data. It doesn't know what it doesn't see and why those, you know, laws um, always conflict with each other and why Asimov wrote that way Mm -hmm. Um, or in biology, right? Let's talk about modeling and simulation of the vaccine and using RNA, right? Right. I mean, that's how it's done. Right. Absolutely. Um, So I, so the point being is that we, you know, it's just an extension of everything that we've had. In mm-hmm. fact, it's like the ultimate thing that we wanted to, to create is technology that learns from the presentation of new things, much right. like we do. That's exactly. all that's happening here. Right. It doesn't need consciousness, like none of that. That's a yeah. different conversation. Right. And I think when it comes to that kind of curriculum, though, then we mm-hmm. need to do that. Now, the question is, is how do we work with our teachers to help them understand it, right? Right. right. So that they can, they can do that. And I think that as we see um, a big rise in, you know, I think education funding and mm-hmm. the rest, mm-hmm. I, there's nothing more crucial. The, the underpinning of all the future conversations that we're gonna have and concerns, such as what is real, will be undergirded by artificial intelligence and mm-hmm. these kind of learning suite of technologies. Mm-hmm. Now it's the reason for misinformation, mis- it's, you know, all the things we have now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's worthy of reaching that level. We just, again, have to expose people in ways that aren't coding on a computer.
0: Right. Right. That's what I think is crucial. And to that point, um, if you were to guide a young person today, um, whether in high school or, or entering college, if they wanted to pursue a career in this field, how would you guide them? What would be your advice? Oh, just find anything you're passionate about.
1: Um, so what we want to do is we we want to see the world through the lens of artificial intelligence. I'll give you a good example. Okay. Okay. Right. So so constantly when you're thinking about AI or you understand the process, mm-hmm. you're thinking yourself, you're like, oh, why doesn't that have AI? Or you know when it when it has some machine learning kind of, kind of like um, aspect to it. Right. Um, did you ever hop in those newfangled elevators that you don't have buttons on the inside, but you push the button only on the outside, and then you get inside and you're like, "Whoa!" Wait a <laughs> second, right? Yeah, yeah. But you yeah. tell what floor you're going to,
0: right? Right. Yeah.
1: It's a very simple optimization function, just taking the six elevators, right, and compute there in order to optimize where everyone moves, right? right? And right. it always frustrated me because, you know, working at the Pentagon for for some odd years, um. Uh, I, I would walk in and I worked on the fourth floor on the outside ring. So like it's a big place. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes was in the mood to take the elevator and the elevator would be on the fifth floor. And then when I was going home, the elevator's on the ground floor and I'm like, but why? Right. Right. So, so if you were in, you know, elevator maintenance,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, or make an elevator company, you have a function for AI,
0: right? Mm, right? What if you
1: wanted to work at a national park, for instance, and you wanted to monitor the health of vegetation or the movement of deer, right? You could use artificial intelligence, you know? So the point I'm trying to highlight is always do something that you love Mm -hmm. and then take the knowledge that you have and do AI on it. Sort of like, you know, you remember when um, (laughs) there was was literally a, a, a beverage company like Long Island Iced Tea Okay. And they called them Long Island blockchain iced tea and their stock rose you know, four <laughs> times. That's awesome. But the point, the, the point <laughs> being is that AI, I, I, you know, I always make this bet with people. I say, I will wager any amount of money. Yeah. If you explain your job to me, I will give you a, a, a problem for artificial intelligence to solve. Awesome. And that's what I think is really cool mm-hmm. so that then it proliferates into different aspects of our lives and everyone's contributing to better understanding it. Right. So right. you want right. to go into engineering, go for it. Yeah. But if you if you want to do what you love,
0: yeah. use yeah. AI in it. Yeah. That's uh, a great advice because I think you can't go wrong if you if you follow what you know what you love anyways. So Right. Yeah. 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 So that kind of leads me to ask about what you're doing at the AI accelerator. At mm-hmm. MIT, tell me about that. What what exactly is that, and and what are you doing, you and your colleagues? Because you're not the only yeah. one there, right? Oh
1: no, of course not. No, right. Um, plenty of oh, wonderful, wonderful, and talented people, um, you know, trying to do the right thing. Um, the the Air Force MIT Artificial Intelligence Accelerator is pursuant to a cooperative agreement uh, between MIT Computer Science and AI Laboratory and the Department of the Air Force to develop AI for a public good. And there are three main thrusts of effort to you know, perform some flagship project lines that both advance the state of art of the science itself, the research, mm-hmm. and to the benefit of the public and to the benefit of the Air Force. So those are all decided um, to do those kind of three functions. The second piece is to develop the education for the Department of the Air Force on stuff like we've had a conversation about. What is AI? How can I continuously learn Um, How can we provide opportunities for upskilling to the entirety of the department? Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's executed here as well. And then of course, having a public and transparent conversation on responsible AI um, in terms of whether that's ethics or robustness and and testing and evaluation and the rest. So those three efforts are are in a partnership together Mm -hmm. um, representing principal investigators from the school itself from Lincoln Laboratory, and then uniformed airmen from the Department of the Air Force and different career fields, different backgrounds, um, purposefully representative of what the Air Force looks like also. Right. It was designed that way up front. Yeah. You, you don't just see a bunch of me at here. And I think that's really, really crucial um, uh, moving forward, especially in AI.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And is this going to be um, a, a long-term, persistence? Yes. Yeah. Good. Yep. Good. I think that's yeah. awesome.
1: That I think I, I think what we're doing is we're we're reminding people that there's uh, more that unites than divides us. Right. Um, <laughs> we're all thinking about the same things. Mm-hmm. And back to the point of what we really want is this triangular relationship. And I think we lost each other a little bit along the way. But this triangular relationship of government, industry, and academia, mm-hmm. understanding the risks that are at hand, sharing together, um, making you know, smart legislation where it's meant to be, kind of no more square pegs and round holes when we could carve out some new square holes. I mean, that's like simply what we have to do in society now. And it's just not fun stuff. But what it starts with is ensuring that we're not speaking past each other. Um, and that's what yep. this is all about, and 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 there
0: is no secrets behind it. It's Googleable, and then yep. there you go. Uh, I think that's awesome. And I have to ask, just from a personal perspective, yeah. what does it feel like to be? You know, you're still in uniform technically, but what does it feel like to be in that environment, MIT, and amongst all these other uh, people that are not in the in the military, but people that you're working with? Oh. I mean, it's exciting.
1: We have weekly meetings where we share air force stories and share MIT stories with each other. Oh, Literally cool. like that's how we kick off one of our weekly meetings. Awesome. Um, I think for, for those who are thinking about service and the rest, if you asked me full circle back to that air force Academy, 18 year old me mm-hmm. that I'd be, you know, working at MIT in Cambridge, Massachusetts, <laughs> No. Right. (laughs) I I mean, it's, it's, it's wild. And, and in the vein of learning as a lifetime sport, you're around the best AI researchers in the world. Yeah. Period. And dot. And, but here's also the point too, Mm -hmm. is that those people who are dealing with it in their everyday life or need to use it in their jobs and stuff, there's nothing better than the connective tissue of research and operations. Right. Whether that's in business or that's in government or the military, it, it, it doesn't matter um, because you're, you're making something for a purpose, right? Mm-hmm. So being here, you have, you're, you learn so much, you pick up a lot on just osmosis, but then furthermore, you're kind of embodying, you know, Don Norman user centered design, right? Right. One of my favorite right. books, the design of everyday things. So, yes, yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So, okay. As, as we kind of near the end of our time Mm -hmm. here um there are certain applications in the air force that a lot of people talk about where ai will be implemented um so i know you're not involved in this program but i would Mm -hmm. love to hear your thoughts and insight into the alpha dogfight trials sure Uh, because i I found that fascinating i was i was watching it every day and (laughs) like all all of the serials and it's like man you know after a while, it was it, it was really interesting to see some of the some of the companies that had the really aggressive, um, yeah. the really aggressive. I guess uh, w- there was a term tactics. used for yeah it, tactics, but there was a um, yeah there was a specific term used for their um, in, in essence the tactics, but uh, but yeah. whatever whatever algorithms. I mean, some of them using, like kamikaze, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, and yeah. the funny thing was is that they were saying obviously in real world training, you would never do that because you have to think about safety and what have you. But for this scenario, a guns fight, the kamikaze one was winning all the time.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, so I think that goes to the point of how we appropriately problem frame AI problems. So if the end state is win,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: right, right, a machine, and, and here's what was happening there. So in simulation, and this is what makes machines a little bit different. And primarily some of those techniques they were using mm-hmm. is, a, is a thing called reinforcement learning, where right. agents yes. just keep trying new things um, to essentially find new patterns.
0: Okay, that, that was the word, the agent. Oh, good. I'm glad, yeah, I'm good. glad we, we have you. it. Yeah. Thank you. Yes.
1: Yeah. Um, so the agents are, are, are essentially getting to play a, a billion times to solve right. whatever the problem was. Right. In this case, the problem was essentially, you know, a, a kinetic kill in the air is what you would call it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like some functional kill in the air. And mm-hmm. well, it's more kinetic because, um, you know, we're not just trying to, to, to suppress things. Anyways. Right. The point is, is that, yeah. So it's going to come up with with things that you might not do in real life because of, frankly, first, the physical <laughs> limitations of of what you have in the world. And frankly, too, um, you know, the confines of of your own mind right? Mm-hmm. I can only try something so many times. For a machine to do it 10 billion times in simulation, it might find something we never thought of or a, a technique that we never, you know, could, could have thought of. And you see this play out because this is the same technology that's being used in Dota, the video game, and Starcraft 2, right? So okay. reinforcement learning. Okay. So agents trying the game in all the ways that they can mm-hmm. to eventually find some sort of of tactic that outperforms the human. And also open AI uses this in this hide and seek game. If do hide and seek artificial intelligence for anyone listening right now and watch YouTube video, it'll blow your mind. The point though, is that simulation is a really cool place to advance artificial intelligence for the purposes of what I'm trying to expose here mm-hmm. is tactics you would have never thought of or been capable of doing in the real world. Now, whether or not it's worth it to fly a $6 million jet into another, you know, plane, I don't know, True. but it's not, you know, it's, it's feasible. Right. So, yeah. so these are the questions asked. So it's really exciting to see these things. Um, I think, you know, with, it isn't the first time this has happened, by the way, though.
0: Okay. Right. I think yeah. that's forgotten
1: yeah. too. Is right. That, right.
0: True. Right. Yeah.
1: But, but thank goodness for the rise of social media and, and Twitter, because that's why nobody heard about it, but they heard about this one. Um, anyways, it's, it's a very cool thing. It's advancing a significant and important technique in artificial intelligence um, that's being advanced in the real world uh, for lots of reasons in strategizing um, and gameplay and team, teamwork, which mm-hmm. is what's happening here too.
0: You know, I think also the pandemic actually helped in terms of the exposure of the alpha Dogfight trials, because my understanding yeah. is they we're actually going to do it in Vegas and it was going to be where, you know, all the teams came together and, Oh, sure. And because of COVID they streamed it live through YouTube and there's so I'm many watching. things.
1: Yeah. I think there's so many things I hope we, we keep from the pandemic. I, I then a lot that we lose. Sure. Um, but yeah. some of the things that we keep are, 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 Hey, can I do more for more audience? You know, right. do I just right. have to be face to face? And I think in this case, you know, the pandemic exposed this is a good thing.
0: I completely agree. Uh, so the last couple of examples, and and they're they're interrelated, is mm. the U.S. Air Force's um, Skyborg and Loyal Wingmen, um, yeah. I guess initiatives uh, programs. Um, talk to me about how AI machine learning can be utilized. Mm -hmm. These programs talk about utilizing AI a lot and that's kind of the way it's put. So explain to somebody who's not aware of what Skyborg or low low wingman, what that is and how AI can play a role.
1: Yeah, um, so remember when I spoke a little bit about the OODA loop and the observe and orient functions. Mm -hmm. Um, When you're a pilot in a cockpit, you're constantly being bombarded with different signals like quite literally on the screen in front of you. of, you know, are you being target tracked by something or, and, and is the computer quite certain of it? Like, Mm -hmm. has it seen that kind of form of, of signal before or not and the rest? Mm -hmm. And they're constantly trying to figure that out all while live flying and keeping uh, their awareness. And then a lot of times kind of quarterbacking the field, right? You know, that's happening around them. Mm -hmm. Um, Artificial intelligence in that case wants to support that no longer observing and orienting and being sure of something and having to test and retest all while you're doing these, um, you know, physical performances of being a pilot. In addition to that, of course, um, you know, uh, more things are better than just one. So of course you can take swarming to the nth degree um, Mm -hmm. in terms of working with a plane itself, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So those are some examples of effective uses of artificial intelligence. So number one, do we really understand and know what threats are around us? Are we managing the proverbial field that's going around? Because, you know, um, they're not alone in the sky, right? They're in a right. four ship or a two ship formation with tankers and everything else happening as well. And mm-hmm. we're kind of coordinating that, that dance. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, kind of respond to something. What is it optimizing against?
0: Mm-hmm. Number
1: three is, How could we swarm with these pieces? That's an obvious um, implication of using this kind of stuff to work together more as a team. And then I think, you know, um, simply put, that we saw an alpha dogfight, and this is a culturally difficult thing, Mm -hmm. not only in public, in the public, but for the community itself is, um, you know, do we have someone in a cockpit? It doesn't mean something's making a choice on its own. By any stretch of the imagination. Right. Um, And there are some good aspects to that. Obviously, in the case of, you know, humans are limited to, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 Gs.
0: Right. I I mean, the
1: plane is limited by the human. Correct. Let's just call that like that's, that's been the way it is for many, many, many decades.
0: Absolutely true.
1: On the flip side of things, however, um, you know, are we okay with seeing, you know, someone not in a cockpit when, you know, the very essence of the Department of the Air Force was air power
0: and, right. and to yes. fly planes. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I, uh, I guess I'll, I guess I'll think of it like this. And, and the point being is we should have thoughtful questions, right? AI Absolutely. has its rightful place. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not a, this is not going to happen now. I, I would talk to friends um, and I'd have <laughs> I'd have, you know, some F-35 driver friends because you went to school with them and stuff. Sure. And they're like, they're like hey, man, Um, or, or, or they're saying, and, or she's saying, you know, Hey, why are you taking me out of the cockpit? I'm like, hold on a second. Right. One thing I am not taking out of the cockpit. Yeah. You are probably going to fly for the rest of your career. Yeah. But will the next generation be in the cockpit? Yeah. That's the question to ask. Yes. It's not about you. Right. What about the next generation? And Listen, you know, I think we should publicly have this conversation. I think people are. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're more open to it. And that's the point of Skyborg and Loyal Wingman is to get those answers. Now, you know, we can drive Teslas on the road. Three dimensional space is a totally different monster, right? When you're talking about artificial intelligence. True. Right? True. I I mean, I'm just going to technically, it ain't there yet. Right. Right? There are no and and i and let's just let's just you know keep the journey of progression moving forward in the name absolutely. of progress that's all yeah
0: absolutely well i think that's why when you hear about sixth generation aircraft quote unquote sixth gen um a lot of the time you will see appended to that you know optionally manned because as yeah. technology moves forward yeah we don't know will there be a man in the cockpit will there not but that discussion needs to happen now and and i dare say that yeah. That optional will probably be what, uh, what happens.
1: I Yeah. I mean, at least, at least we have to have, you know, pun intended, the option, right. Yeah, and, right and by exactly. the way, you know, what a marked big deal it is for, for, for the army to say stuff like that or the Navy or the air force to just put in the requirement or rather, what's a solicitation right? to show demand to industry, mm-hmm. give me something optionally, man, who knows, you know, I'm, I, I it, all it does is again it marks a steady drumbeat of progress. Right. And we should never be afraid of culturally hard questions. They're oh, okay.
0: Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. That's it, all. I dare say that if we're not asking the hard questions, we're not pushing we're not pushing ourselves enough. We yeah, we should right. be asking the hard questions. Yeah. 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 Cuz the simple ones, well, like I mean, you know, well, the that's... simple
1: ones will just keep doing the same thing.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So as we close out, Mike, uh, what is next for Michael um, uh
1: More of this, you know, I think, I think what is next, it, it's, it's again, AI is a really long journey.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think it's, it's, it's kind of twofold, it's championing for, for the causes in terms of legislation and work that best supports the broadest community of people to learn about these things. And then um, it's the practicalities of moving the federal government on smart steps along the way, right? Getting data right, and then all the rest of that. So that at least, you know, um, someone once asked me, they said, what does an intelligence officer look like in 2030? <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I said, well, not me. Um, I, I, know that, I know that they get to choose their own adventure. That's what I know that they can pivot and they're not pigeonholed to one thing like we are. And Mm -hmm. that's the entire point. So whatever is in the best way to let people see their own future into existence. I think those are the, the big next steps.
0: That's awesome. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. This has been enlightening. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And actually I should say before I close out, Mm-hmm. you've done a lot of interviews. Um, what surprises you that people either have not asked you <laughs> like, you know, are there questions that you're like, I'm surprised people aren't asking me this. Uh, so I got to ask you that.
1: Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to make the, I don't want to, I don't think anything's off the table. No. I think I try my best not to, you know, PA people, um, PA meaning like public affairs. Right. <laughs> And give the, right. you know, for anyone <laughs> listening, um, yeah. and just be clear and transparent. If you can't answer something, you can't answer something. Totally. Um, but largely uh, questions I haven't heard. Mm. I guess, you know, I don't think often not enough. Like people ask, well, what keeps you up at night? Mm. You know, when, when you ask, uh, generally leaders that question, they say nothing or people will win, um, <laughs> I don't really like that answer. I think, I think calling some Frank realities at hand, the concerns about the duality of the technology keeps me up at night, Mm -hmm. wondering not so much what, you know, I don't think much about what we do with the tech. People always want to ask that question. Mm -hmm. The flip side of the question being, what if you don't get there? Like, what if it's too late?
0: Right. Yeah.
1: What if you didn't do AI soon enough? What happens then? So anyone listening to a future one, I guess there's a questions to ask. I'll think
0: about them right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. Uh, hey, Mike, thank you so much for taking the time. It's a pleasure. Absolutely enjoyed this. And uh, I hope we let's revisit this again in the future. Always. I think that'll be nice just to kind of gauge how, how things are progressing.
1: Thanks, my friend. Good to be with you.
0: Good to be with you, too, Mike. Thank you very much. Take care of yourself. You too. Bye. Oh, bye bye. We hope you are enjoying this episode of the Go Bold Podcast. Please take a moment to like and subscribe so you don't miss any of our fabulous guests and topics. You can also find Go Bold with Jyoti on YouTube and at goboldthepodcast.com. The views and opinions expressed in this presentation are solely those of the participants. This podcast is copyright and all rights are reserved. No portion may be reproduced or used in any manner without the express written permission of the publisher who can be reached at goboldthepodcast at gmail.com. The music on this podcast is "Parasail" by Silent Partner.